Coming up on the show today, findings released on the 2021 July unrest investigative hearings. Will the ANC suspend Zuma? The NEC is expected to make its decision public. Lawyers appointed to investigate the drowning death of Latoya Templeton. The Osindiso firing inquiry continues and we'll wrap up the weekend sport. All of that over the next hour. 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Great to be with you today. Lots of sport over the weekend, lots of politics too. What is the ANC going to do about its Jacob Zuma problem, the ANC-NEC meeting over the weekend? It does seem, according to reports, as though the NEC is in favour of Zuma being placed on immediate suspension and then asking him for reasons why he should not be charged and then being put through a disciplinary process. And in the end, the intention is to have a formal expulsion. So that's what reports are suggesting at the moment, that last night uh, it was agreed that Zuma must uh, be issued a letter of suspension immediately. How do you think the ANC should deal with its Jacob Zuma problem? Have they learnt from lessons of the past about how to deal uh, with people when it comes to disciplinary hearings? Think of Julius Malema as an example. How will this end? Send me a WhatsApp voice note. 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. Well, let's start in KwaZulu-Natal in Umkhlanga because the SA Human Rights Commission and the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of the Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities is today releasing the 2021 July Unrest Investigative Hearing Reports. The two reports reports being jointly released by the two different Chapter 9 bodies today that investigative work was carried out into the specific issues that followed the unrest that occurred in KZN and Gauteng in July of 2021. Quite detailed uh, reports being released there. Uh, but let's just start with uh, some of the findings that were released by Palile Tuli, the Commissioner of the Human Rights Commission, providing context on what happened during the unrest. The Commission makes the following findings. The evidence presented to the Commission shows that the acts which occurred during the unrest were indeed orchestrated. The blocking of the N3 and the N2, the calculated destruction of factories and warehouses, the organized disconnection of security and fire alarm systems, the attack on government communication facilities, at the Durban port and the bombing and removal of ATMs together cannot be viewed as mutually distinct. These events point to a significant investment in the execution of the July Andes. So that's some of the findings, right? So that's one important one that has been made, the fact that it was orchestrated. So the events of July 2021 were orchestrated, including the blocking of the N3 and the N2 and the destruction of factories. The other finding that I think is going to get a lot of traction is the fact that the commission has found that while the timing of the events of the July unrest coincided with the incarceration of former President Jacob Zuma, the commission could not find evidence to link the two events. Hmm. Fascinating. And Klantla Mabasso, EWN reporter, is at that briefing. And Klantla, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Take us through some of those key findings. Well, Mandy, firstly, I think we should start with the fact that this has been an anticipated 
um, a report or reports from community members. And I think you would recall that it was on how the main and center of the investigation's focus was in Phoenix and surrounding areas, especially that bloody um, alleged racial violence that saw 36 people being killed, including 19-year-old matriculant Monli Majola, who was shot in the head. To- Maybe let's start with the commission person, of course, JCEO rather Edward, uh, uh, apologizing for the, re- the late release of this particular report. In the context, it is appropriate to apologize to communities and families that had actually waited for this report for this long. In-depth consultations with relevant stakeholders and slow responses to other parties that needed to furnish the commission with information in order to complete the reports has been part of the contributory factors that led us to some delays in releasing these reports. So an apology there, Nklantla. Um, you mentioned Phoenix. That has been one of the, the key sites mm-hmm. that has been discussed in these findings. Well, indeed, Mindy. Part of the findings, in fact, according to the CR and um, chairperson, that's David um, Mosuma, has basically t- t- told the commissioners, well, of course, uh, reading out his findings, is the fact that there existed historical um, racial-related um, matters between the Indian and African communities, and even dating this back to 1949, where there was an alleged racial war between the two communities. You'd recall that Phoenix is a bigger Indian community in the north of Devon and has surrounding African communities, including Wamash, Inanda, Amau, Uzuma, and other areas. And most people that were affected or attacked in Phoenix were coming from all these com- uh, communities that I've mentioned. And the uh, commission has made findings that um, the July unrest back in 2021 actually was all, uh, found as, uh, an already fatal ground, fatal ground rather, for these um, racial wars to happen. So you'd recall that most of the people that were killed there were killed by a group of uh, vigilantes that were claiming to be protecting the Phoenix area from being attacked or businesses from being looted. But reality many is not even a single business, not even a garage was looted, no attack in Phoenix. A lot of people that appeared before this particular commission uh, giving their own accounts of the events that they've seen and witnessed and when they were attacked. Most of them were either looking for ATMs or petrol garages to fill up their cars because some of the garages in Guamashu uh, were out of uh, petrol and it was hard, as you mentioned. The N2 and the N3 Mm. highways were were, were blocked by protesters. So it was hard for any truck to come and deliver. Also interesting, maybe, when um, the commission also found that the, the, that racism has been, you know, um, existing between these, you know, communities, which makes it hard or difficult for them to coexist. So the commission says it also found that economy, um, you know, economic opportunities are in Phoenix, most of them, instead yeah. of these also uh, communities. So some people have to rely on Phoenix, which is why they found themselves crossing that bridge going to Phoenix only to get attacked. And Clancy, can you unpack the, the finding that the timing of the events of the July unrest coincided with the incarceration of the former president, but they're saying that they can't find evidence to link the two events. Just for clarity, what exactly did they say about that? Well, many of them, this was well orchestrated by some. And I think earlier on in my crossing with Crystal, we mentioned this to say, 
maybe maybe the people being prosecuted yes the state did well by ensuring that someone does account but the main question would always remain who the mastermind are and the 2021 that under to say it was well orchestrated you'd recall that there's a group of six eight uh, that are still appearing in the Devon magistrates court those are um, behind the groups and the messages that they're spreading on social mainly in parts of the Deben, I mean, of the Deben CBD and, you know, surrounding areas before stores could be looted. A Facebook alert, Peter alert would go out to mm. say this particular mall is next. And you'd see people, um, you know, reacting to that. Well, of course, it started as protests, mainly that were against the arrest of former President Jacob Zuma. Some were started by the likes of Calvier House and Escort, where they were held, holding protests outside the Escort facility where Zuma had been jailed. Some blocked the N3 next to River, the toll plaza, where they started burning trucks. Mm. It happened in the same on the N2 highway next to the Umboy, the toll plaza, where they started burning trucks and raising concerns about you know, Zuma being arrested and that Zuma should be released. But when people started looting, mainly, one could tell they had then shifted, but it was the issue of people now stealing and using this opportunity to practice act of criminality. Right. But when asked why were you doing this, they pointed to Zuma. Mfanta, thank you very much. Nkakla Mabaso, EWN reporter, reporting back there on those findings that are being re- released. That's the HRC, the Human Rights Commission, and the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of the Rights of Cultural, Religious, and Linguistic Communities. Their findings into the July 2021 unrest. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. The Usandiso fire inquiry is uh, continuing. Um, and again, this is happening against the backdrop of the court appearance uh, by the man who has now come forward, the alleged. Would you call him an arsonist? I, I'm not entirely certain. Maybe you, you feel differently about this. Um, but the man who has admitted to starting that fire, um, he started the fire because, as you remember, he had uh, admitted to strangling another man. He wanted to destroy the evidence. He set the body alight and that fire then began. And we know that 77 people in total um, have uh, did die in that incident. So let's get the latest there with Alpha Ramoshwana. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, bring us up to date with the inquiry. Good afternoon, Mandy. So today the Commission of Inquiry into the Marshall Town Fire is continuing this uh, a week after a man uh, confessed to setting the building alight, killing more than 70 people. It is the effect way into part two of the Commission. We recall that part one of the Commission is to the possible causes of the fire and part two is to investigate uh, the prevalence of hijacks during the CBD. Today we're talking to a uh, survivor, a victim, uh, whose name is uh, Kenneth Dubik, who lived in the building since 2019. And today he's talking more about uh, the hijacking of the Ufinito building. He says that he moved into the building before uh, the building was hijacked and before there were informal settlements in the building. And it's recalled that uh, the mess in the Usulipa building basically started when people started uh, selling their drugs in the building. He said uh, somewhere in 20, time in 2019, uh, drug lords moved into the Usulipa building and they started operating and selling drugs from there. And from then, he says that's when the hijacking uh, took place. He says that's when uh, a number of sets were built. 
before the commission that he was approached by two men who asked him to help them, uh, you know, start up or, or, or construct some of these sets in the building, and he claims that he denied to be part of, you know, the hijacking of the Islamic building. But let's take a listen to what he had to say, Mandy. He was asked a question by uh, a lawyer, and uh, he obviously answered, of course, answered through the assistance of an interpreter. Let's take a listen to what Mr. Dubey had to say. Mr. Dubey, could you maybe tell this commission more about the informal shacks that had started being built in the building. Did you observe any and what were your thoughts on it? The informal settlement started when I was already there and there were two guys who also invited me. They now passed away and they said, no, let's build, the, the, let, let's, let us be involved in this building of informal settlement so that we can gain something and get something from those. But I said, no, I'm not going to support that idea. There was an open space or a hall there that the ANC used to have their meeting during the time of Sydney Hadebe and Mr. Pahat. But those, that, that open space, that's where they used to build the sheds or the informal settlement inside, in, 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 inside the building. So that's uh, evidence being led at the moment with the Usindiso fire inquiry. Thank you to Alpha Ramashwana for sending that through to us. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So what is the ANC going to do about its Jacob Zuma problem? The ANC has wrapped up its uh, two-day NEC Lachotla. It uh, still hasn't made public its decision on Jacob Zuma and how to deal with him. Zuma, of course, has been decampaigning the ANC uh, through the Mkontowesizwe party, calling on South Africans not to vote for the ANC in the upcoming general elections. But he does remain a member of the ANC. So the NEC met in Boxburg at the weekend. It looks as though, according to reports, a decision has been taken. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, joining us now. Tabiso, what do we know about what the ANC-NEC has decided? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, I can tell you, Mandy, there was supposed to be a media brief um, at 11 um, today, but obviously um, that media briefing has been postponed. I don't know time. Um, That is when decision on the ANC uh, on what we'll do with Zuma um, will be formally communicated. But there are obviously some other issues being happening here, Mandy. As you mentioned, there is the Lukhut where the ANC will be discussing its renewal policy, but also its election readiness um, ahead of the general elections in a couple of months. But there will also going to be an integrity report, a um, a media briefing, Mandy, by the Integrity Commission. Um, so as we do know, Mandy, there is about 90 ANC members who were implicated in the state, in the state captures on the commission reports. So the, the Integrity Commission is obviously going to give an update on what will happen to those members. So 
some of these members, Mandy, are obviously Gwede Mandashe, the energy minister, Zizi Koto, the sports minister, and Numvula Mokonyane, the deputy secretary general. Very, very um, high-ranking um, officials within the ANC and in government. So we will wait to see what will happen. Uh, but going back to the question of Zuma, we did speak to the ANC national spokesperson, Mahlengi uh, Pengumut, on what is expected um, to happen today regarding the former president. And this is what she had to say. The program for today includes a continuation of the discussions that started uh, yesterday, discussing the National Working Committee report tabled by the Secretary General to the NEC, containing a variety of issues and recommendations, um, both about organizational matters as well as matters in the geopolitical environment, as well as issues in the political environment. Um, I know that uh, there has been a very great strain uh, on your part to want to get a perspective by the ANC on the matter of the MK party. We are going to be pronouncing the today. Um, and, and we can assure you of that. There are many other things, of course, that we're going to be looking at because we're not really that much focused on that matter in a way that uh, society expects us to. But it is an important matter because, um, you know, uh, Jacob Zuma is the former president of the organization. Hmm. We're not really focused on it, but actually we are. Um, so there are reports, a News24 reporting that the um, ANC is going to suspend Jacob Zuma. Is that the, the expectation there? Well, Mandy, we are expecting the ANC to charge um, Zuma. I mean, um, Jacob Zuma is obviously um, did violate one of the constitution of the ANC. Um, she did breach it, um, which obviously the ANC's constitution says it is um, wrong for a party member to actually campaign for another party. Um, so, just don't... Just those fighter jets flying above us again. Uh, <laughs> no, that's just evidence that you actually are where you told us you are because the same thing happened on Friday. Yes, yes. Uh, so as I said, there is obviously going to be a charge um, against Zuma. But obviously the ANC does have its internal processes. And with Zuma obviously not re- re- resigning from the political party, um, he did obviously pass on the baton to the ANC to say... Um, your, your move next. And what the ANC has always tried to do is they don't want the next couple of six months to be overshadowed by the Zoom question. Mm-hmm. However, ANC policy dictates that if you are going to expel a member, there are processes that has to be done. Zuma has to be um, given a formal notice. He has to present himself before yeah. the ANC to fight for his case. So that entire process, the ANC do want to avoid that, but unfortunately it looks like um, if they want to expel him from the party, they're going to have to do go through all the formal processes. Mm-hmm. To be so, thank you. To be so, Goba, EWN reporter who's at that ANC uh, NEC uh, meeting. So, what are the options here? How does the ANC deal with this? Dr. Levy and political analyst, joining us to give us more insight into this. Dr. Ndo, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, we heard from Tabiso there saying that the ANC won't want the Zuma issue to overshadow the next six months into the, the elections, but they also need to learn from previous mistakes when it comes to disciplinary matters. How do they proceed? Good afternoon, Mandy. Good afternoon to the viewers at home. It's quite a tricky situation for the ANC. Um, the ANC is saying that uh, they do not want uh, the Jacob Zuma matter to overshadow whatever they have to do. And uh, unfortunately, this is the situation that they are confronting. Um, there are options at their disposal. 
they can um, refer the matter to the next meeting or delay it or um, uh, do what is in their constitution, which is to uh, formally charge him or uh, to just release him because uh, by his actions, by his attitude and utterances, he has actually uh, uh, released himself from the ANC. So uh, those are the options in my view that they have to look at. They Mm. can say he is doing whatever he's doing. Let's leave him to do what he's doing and focus on our programs or do uh, all these other issues that I've indicated about. What do you think Jacob Zuma would like the ANC to do? What do you think his game plan is and what works in his interests? What would work in his interest would be for the ANC to formally charge him so that uh, he would be able to play victim and that will give him sufficient energy to mobilize from within the party and further destroy the ANC. The strategy of uh, uh, former President Jacob Zuma now is to weaken the ANC. And um, the same processes of the ANC, if they are followed, they have a potential to make former President Jacob Zuma to get more strength and further weaken the ANC. And unfortunately for the ANC, it will be happening at a very crucial time when they are uh, facing the elections. And that is one thing that, uh, in my view, the ANC would try to avoid. And um, hence, I talk about them trying to delay the exercise so that the focus should uh, be uh, in the elections come the first term of 2024. Uh, Just briefly, if they do decide to suspend him, do you think that will impact on um, the support in KwaZulu-Natal, which we know hangs in the balance, that the ANC could lose KwaZulu-Natal in this election? Well, it will depend on the, um, uh, the gravity of the support that he has in KwaZulu-Natal and what the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal is doing to mobilize the people. But the fact of the matter remains that um, Jacob Zuma cannot start by mobilizing outside the ANC because he has always been in the ANC. And if he has to mobilize and seek sympathy, he has to do that within the ANC. And that's why it had put the ANC uh, in KwaZulu-Natal at a panic mode, hence they had to do an audit of membership, those who are being involved in the activities of Umkonto Wesizwe and those who are actively seen to be in support of former President Jacob Zuma. So my view is that whatever strategy he has, he has to mobilize within the ANC and the existence of Umkonto Wesizwe party does threaten the support base of the ANC, specifically in KwaZulu-Natal. Dr. Leviandor, thank you so much for your time and your analysis there. I'd love to hear from you. How do you think the ANC manages this and what will they tell us? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Uh, you know, it's funny that uh, the commission says there is no evidence uh, of the July unrest and, uh, and the incarceration of Jacob Zuma. It's very clear. I mean, uh, the unrest was uh, was as a result of uh, his incarceration. Now I don't understand what the, what they mean, uh, honestly. I appreciate that they're doing a good job, but 
<laughs> honestly, this is, I mean, this is funny, honestly. Elia in Pretoria. Hi, Mindy. I'm not surprised about the findings of a so-called commission. These are ANC people investigating their comrades. So I'm not surprised. It's all whitewash. They are working. They are covering their bodies. Thank you. My name is Mpegisen from Chimistin. Hey, Mbekiseni, I understand and appreciate your, your cynicism, but these are two Chapter 9 organizations, and I think it's important that we maintain the integrity and credibility of Chapter 9 organizations in this country. Um, and I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say it's ANC people protecting ANC people, but I am confused by this finding um, that they're saying that it was orchestrated, the July unrest, but there's no link between what happened with Jacob Zuma, the incarceration, and the unrest. I think maybe it's a semantics thing, as Nkantla explained. So they're saying that the initial protests were related to Zuma, but then it became more organic in how there was so much um, looting. That wasn't necessarily related to Zuma. That was related to socioeconomic conditions. So maybe that's my understanding of it. Um, but uh, I, I look forward to hearing uh, your analysis as well. Um, but keep in mind also that there was a high-level panel finding on this, uh, which looked at the intelligence around it and, and what, uh, what did lead to it, and that showed, showed a different finding. Um, um, so it's important to read both of those together. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. The Gauteng Education MEC, Matome Chilwane, visiting Law School Queenswood to introduce a firm of attorneys which has been appointed to investigate the circumstances surrounding the death of grade 7 learner Latoya Temelton. Uh, we reported on this last week about how Latoya Temelton died whilst on a leadership camp. Uh, let's speak to Steve Mabona, who is the Gauteng Department of Education spokesperson who joins us now. Steve, good afternoon to you. Tell us about the mandate that has been given to Nkupetsang Incorporated Attorneys. Good day, Mandy, and to all our listeners. Yes, the terms of reference will dictate that they need to investigate. Um, they will interact with the school management. Uh, all those that uh, will be involved, teachers, learners, and um, SGB, and they will also visit the venue where this incident occurred. They will also interact with the family. So, and they, at the venue, they need to check on if the CCTV cameras there. They must get that and analyze. Uh, it's more of your fact finding, but also the uh, evidence that will be covered by the firm will then assist them to finalize the recommendations which we will then implement as a department. Steve, what time frame have they been given for this fact-finding investigation mission? They are given seven days to complete this process as to what they were, they were given. But you know that in an investigation, if there's development, uh, maybe you, you are delayed and anything that might happen, then probably you'll be in a position to uh, you know, seek extension, whatever the case might be. But for now, they are given seven days to complete this. 
Steve, uh, there is an argument to be made that it may have taken the department and the school um, a, a fairly long time relatively to speak up about this because it did occur last weekend. It took a few days before um, anybody was appointed or there was some kind of comment. Um, do you think that's that's fair? And do you think that the, the department and school officials are dealing with this with enough urgency? No, it's not fair because we received the information but then started fielding, you know, requests that were coming from individual media, uh, but also making inroads, uh, interacting with the family through our district officials and the school uh, before we could then be in a position to issue a statement to say, this is what we have and this is the decision thereof. Because we couldn't rush uh, if we didn't make a decision to say, how are we going to be moving forward with this? Are we appointing an independent law firm or are we going to require, require our officials to do that? So we had to assess that quickly. And the MEC decided that, no, looking at the you know, case and what is coming out, uh, let's rather have someone that is independent. And uh, last week we've already issued that, and we've been in the platforms and then trying to explain. It's just that uh, some media officials would have went with their investigative journalism, you know, a lot of things that were put in the public space. And uh, we then uh, are regarded as uh, we have been slow. We have never been slow in any of our eventualities, which is that we can't just communicate if we don't have uh, enough information that will assist us to do that. Steve, thank you very much. Steve Mabona, the Gauteng Department of Education spokesperson, speaking to us there about the this uh, firm of attorneys that has now been appointed to investigate the circumstances surrounding the death of Grade 7 learner Latoya Templeton. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. We have been closely watching the situation around the fires in the Breda Valley and Bitsenberg in the Cape Winelands district that continue to burn. Uh, we have been speaking with the Cape Winelands district municipality. You may have heard us uh, speaking to Joanne Otto last week. Uh, so I did speak to Joanne just before we came on air today. Um, unfortunately, she couldn't join us live. So I spoke to her just before 12. And, you know, these things move very, very quickly. Uh, so I just wanted to tell you that, that, uh, that, that things may have changed in the last 45 minutes minutes or so, um, but have a listen to uh, what Joanne Otto, who is the Cape Winelands District Municipality spokesperson, told me about the situation. current situation is as it was this morning. The fire lines in certain areas are really looked fantastic. The um, Ferry Glenside above Worcester, we really made good progress. Um, the cliffs still a little bit smoky, looked a few flames, but not yet into the um, um, blue gum plantation we're worried about late yesterday afternoon. In fact, everything has stayed quite well behaved there. Um, on the on the other side, Clakey's Kroll, however, the wind um, let started Erlandsberg. Erlandsberg is looking good. Um, they were able to do quite a lot of backburn yesterday, which um, meant that the fire line couldn't come down because there was a um, a nice fire break. And um, and then today they're going to carry on with preventative measures, which are, include um, backburns and moving the up to the mountainous areas and keeping it up there and out of that game reserve, which is really important because of its sensitivity. Um, and then on the Clakey's Kraal side or on the Bainscliffe side, the wind has come up this morning. We have 
very lovely night. It was quiet. There was no wind. We made great progress. We were able to put in a couple of fire fire breaks um, in some centers, in some in you know in between um, properties, and especially the um, harvests or the the grapes that they're busy harvesting. Um, and we could really make a, a make good headway. And then now this morning the wind has come up northwesterly again and at quite a brisk trot. Um, so that has thrown things a little bit awry. And um, at the moment Bainscliff is closed. We um, are engaged there in active structure protection and active firefighting. We um, are concerned for structures in that area um, that we have actually previously protected really well. And it's just that the fire has decided to turn back mm. very suddenly. And the strength of the wind is just driving it really, really strongly. What kind of uh, structures are these? And are there, um, is there any risk to, to human life at all? Um, not that we're aware of to human life. Um, we're sure most people have left. They, they, all these structures are camping huts and cottages, guest cottages um, um, that are situated quite uh, sort of in the Steenbock Park area. And um, they, the, the, all the trails have been closed since last week, Tuesday anyway. So there'll definitely be no one in them. But um, we've been trying to protect them because they are very popular um, holiday, not holiday, but weekend destinations. And they're very popular for hikers and trail runners to use. And in terms of resources, Joanne, have you been able to, to ensure that there are enough firefighters, there, there are enough um, technical resources? How's that looking? So we're, we're very fortunate um, as, an, as a municipality to be um, very well-equipped fire. We have a very well-equipped fire service um, and we're, very res- we're well-resourced. And we're well trained, so we we actually train our own firefighters. We have our own training facility, and um, we are trained specifically in felt and wildfire management. But we don't fight a fire on our own, um, Mandy. There is no such thing as a single a single winner in a fire. It is a team approach, and it has to. It's, it's an integrated management approach. So we have many partners, um, and in our IC, we've got ourselves. We have our, um, that's our incident command center. We have ourselves, we have Cape Nature, they're a very big part of, partner for us. We have the fire protection services who are our link between the farmers and the landowners and ourselves. That's just one part of it. And then we have, of course, all the people that work for us. So we have our a contracted crews from NCC, a contracted aerial um, resources leading um a leading education, and then they are working on fire teams. There are um, the Cape Nature teams that are on the ground, and we have volunteer fire services that are on the ground. So a lot, in fact, an average of around about between 150 and 160 boots on uh, people on the ground sure. every day for the last for the last week. Today is day seven of this fire. We today we have 14 fire vehicles out there with crew. Um, and obviously the ground crews are more mobile, so they can get to areas that the fire vehicles can't, um, but they, the fire vehicles are supportive to them. And then we have all five helicopters are in the air at the moment f- are flying. So around about 150 man hours of, um, of heli flight already and um, umpteen thousands of liters of water that have been used from you know both heli drops and, and ground crew.
So that's Joanne Otto, the Cape Winelands District Municipality spokesperson. I chatted to her just before we came on air uh, with an update there on the situation with the fire in the Winelands. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. On the WhatsApp line, uh, Tafara disagreeing with me, uh, which you are perfectly entitled to do, saying it's not for us to maintain the integrity, as you say, of these Chapter 9 institutions. It's for them to maintain it through their actions. Um, and I hear you on that. It is for them to maintain it. And it's so important that we maintain the credibility of Chapter 9 organizations when it comes to releasing reports like this. And, and to be fair, you have to listen to the, 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 the entire report and you can read it as well. Also, uh, Steve saying, Mandy, this is just a whitewash and a waste of taxpayers' money. So that uh, is a lot of reaction to the release of the findings into the July by 2021 unrest by the Human Rights Commission. 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So let's have a look at the weather situation now because some severe thunderstorms have been predicted in parts of Gauteng. The weather service urging the public to uh, brace ourselves for strong damaging winds, the possibility of hail and heavy rains this evening. Elizabeth Fillion, SA Weather Service forecaster, joining us. Now, Elizabeth, good afternoon to you. Tell us what uh, we should be warned of. Very good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, thank you so much for having me on your show today. So in Gauteng this week, we do have a chance of scattered thunder showers with a yellow level 2 warning in place for severe thunderstorms that are possible. The main threat we're looking at here is heavy downpours, as you mentioned, and large amounts of small hail. So heavy downpours, we're looking at possibility of localized flooding or even flooding of susceptible areas. So those are the areas that don't take much to flood. So those areas that flood with very little rainfall or commonly flood. So those areas that we all know of in our local communities that don't need much rainfall but do possibly have some flooding. Then small amounts of large amounts of small hail rather. So that could result in if we've got a large large amount of small hail that could even cause damage to infrastructure like shade netting and things like that. So that's something that we want to keep an eye out for today. Chances of thunderstorms do decrease tomorrow with only a 30% chance and no warning is in place at this stage. Temperature-wise, we're looking at about 26 degrees today, increasing tomorrow to 29, then decreasing to the mid to high 20s for the rest of the week. The weekend looks dry at this stage, but they will be nice and warm with a high of 30 degrees expected each day in Johannesburg. For Cape Town, quite a bit of different weather over there quite windy expected today. So windy conditions are expected with a warning issued for strong winds that could aid in spreading salt fires. So that's not very good for the Cape Town region, the metropole, as well as surrounding areas. There is a small chance of rain in the city today with isolated showers expected today as well as tomorrow as a weak cold front just brushes along the coast. Temperatures will be in the mid-20s, so around 24 degrees, 26 tomorrow, but then from Thursday increases with a high of around 27 or 28 degrees, which will continue straight into the weekend. Elizabeth, as always, thank you so much for uh, bringing us up to speed with uh, all of that. Elizabeth Fillion, SA Weather Service forecaster. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. On 702 and Cape Talk. Bumper weekend of sport, Moande Mateza. Uh, let's start with um, tennis because yeah. it's me. Um, so <laughs> so I, f- I feel like I should have called this at the beginning of the tournament uh-huh. because I called Sinner and I called Sabalenka. 
And I oh, should have fantastic. put money on it. Man. <laughs> uh, you might missed out over there. And I think there's a lot of people who missed out on the match yesterday as well. We had uh, Daniil Medvedev leading two sets to love. Uh, and that was one of those. I was just like, okay, cool. Well, uh, here it goes. Um, and it would have been incredible for Medvedev to win that Grand Slam, having not beaten either Alcaraz nor Djokovic uh, in, 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 at any point in the tournament. So that was fantastic. And I think for Yannick Sinner, it's a fantastic victory for him because I think a lot of people have been talking about how he's phenomenal talented is a great player mm. but he's never had that resilience and the steel and the nerve to take him to the next level and there were questions about his character and I think for the victory that uh, in the manner that he pulled it off yesterday was absolutely br- brilliant and then uh, for Sabalenka as well becoming a multiple Grand Slam champion successfully defending the title uh, one thing that she has been over the last two years is the most consistent player at Grand Slam tennis um, and I think that she's probably going to be the person to beat this year again and I wouldn't be surprised if she goes on to reclaim the number one ranking in the world as well. Yeah, I think she was absolutely dominant uh, yeah. throughout the tournament. And I think for men's tennis, it's a very exciting time. I think that there's a lot of uh, potential, you know, it could be... Uh, I, I don't want to be presumptuous about Novak Djokovic. Um, sure. Really club, will have yeah. a go at me. Um, So I do think maybe it's... We're starting to we, see, we're starting to see the shift. Yeah, yeah, definitely with Alcaraz and Sinner out in front. And I think there's a couple of guys as well. Andre Rublev is quite a consistent performer, but also hasn't just gone just that little bit over to the next level. He hasn't got that yet. I mean, Sissipas is there and there are bars. Mm. Uh, Medvedev is always going to be somebody who challenges anywhere else but on clay. Uh, and then the, the, there will be a couple of others. I think uh, men's tennis is in a really, really great place right now. So speaking of, of being in a great place right now is test cricket, right? And who would have wow. thunk? Who would have thunk it? That was absolutely brilliant. A two, brilliant two weekend. Two incredible yeah. um, test cricket uh, finishes yesterday. Yeah, and, and I think that's what uh, people talk about with, with test cricket. You know, there's ebbs and flows in a match there's highs and lows and you get your emotions involved and you almost think it's going to happen and then you think it's done it's not going to um, and it's uh, it's almost like poetry as opposed to rock and roll music which somebody has compared uh, T20 cricket to um, and anyways uh, with uh, the West Indies winning for the first time in Australia in 27 years was brilliant also because of the fact that it's a highly unfancy team and you had a newcomer making a name for himself in Shamar Joseph over there uh, taking seven who, wickets who already quit his job as a security yeah. guard uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, he hadn't played with a proper cricket ball in his life. And then, you know, a year and a half, two years later, he's playing on the biggest stage in Australia uh, and beating the World Test Champions. So that is really good for him. And I think there is a fear already. People are talking about, well, let's keep him in Test cricket, make sure he's not lost to the game because he's such a great advert for it. And then over in England as well, you had England winning in India, which is something people probably didn't think would happen with baseball, quote unquote. Um, and they did absolutely brilliantly with Oli Pope making close to a double century over there and beating India in their backyard. Uh, Not any team just does that. And I mean, we'll caution, it's only first of five test matches. Uh, However, I think England are full value and we'll probably run India down to the wire over there. AFCON, of course, uh, we are building up to our Morocco match. Um, but just bring us up to speed yeah. what happened this weekend. So I think there was one upset over the, the quarterfinal, um, last 16 clashes rather, sorry. Uh, we had uh, Nigeria beating um, Cameroon, which I think should have been expected. Cameroon were a little under par this tournament. Uh, and then Angola going through at the expense of Namibia. And then yesterday was the big one. Um, I don't think a lot of people would have foreseen uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo beating Egypt. It went down to a penalty shootout. Um, and I think um, Egypt will also, um, I think it's a fading power. Um, I don't think Was they're as strong. Fella? 
Yeah, also missing Salah and they hadn't won a game at all at this tournament uh, having drawn all three of their group games and heading into this one uh, also didn't look uh, they weren't confidence inspiring at all at any point uh, and then we had Equatorial Guinea who did absolutely brilliantly in the group stages topping their group ahead of Nigeria and the Ivory Coast then suddenly eliminated by Guinea uh, so yeah it, it just goes to show how unpredictable AFCON is and is one of the exciting things to look forward to at that tournament and then tonight I mean you have uh, Nigeria and the Ivory Coast playing for a place in the quarterfinals and you absolutely cannot call it despite the fact that the Ivory Coast lost four in the last week to Equatorial Guinea it's Mm. still just anything can happen uh, and that's what makes the tournament so exciting. Mawande Mateza, thank you so much for wrapping up the weekend sport and giving you a bit of uh, insight into what's coming this week.